So I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the nine. That's what we're focused on as a church in these coming weeks. Now, it's not so much, this is something that really hit me as I did some studies for this sermon series. It's not so much doing kind acts, a loving acts, a gentle acts. It's becoming a kind person. It's becoming a good person. It's becoming a gentle person. Because when you become a gentle person, when you become a loving person by the gospel, no longer just trying to commit isolated acts, you're always acting in love by God's grace. You're always being kind. It's your disposition by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense, guys? So it's kind of our aim with the nine fruits of the Spirit, that we grow in these things. There's a prayer that I pray most mornings from a very influential 20th century pastor named John Stott. This man exuded the love and gentleness of God. Um, he stayed single his whole life just to serve God. When he passed away, he gave all his inheritance to those in need. He served um, just wonderful ways using his heart and his intellect he just showed off the fruit of the Spirit, and he prayed this prayer every morning, and I've kind of adopted it, and it's been very helpful. It's, our, it's my prayer for us during this sermon series. It's, Heavenly Father, help me to live in your presence and please you more and more. Jesus, help me take up my cross and follow you. And Holy Spirit, fill me with yourself. Cause the fruit of your Spirit to ripen in me, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control more and more. He prayed that every single morning of his life. That's my prayer for us at Restoration Road, that the fruit of the Spirit will ripen in us more and more, that we show off the love of God, that we experience the joy that comes with the Spirit, and that we today we're going to focus on love. Now, there's a few things we're going to preach the next few weeks on this. We've got to lay a foundation on this. Fruit is the metaphor used. It's very important to take note of that. Fruit doesn't pop up in one day. Fruit grows gradually. We need to take this in its metaphorical context. Fruit grows gradually. When we're talking about love, being more loving person, kind person, gentle person, you are going to gradually grow in these things you need to have that expectation that foundational expectation a lot of people get discouraged because they expect to wake up gentle tomorrow i'll just wake up perfectly loving never irritated but if you start to walk in the fruit of the spirit you start to commune and engage with god what will happen is as the days go by in sanctification you will see the fruit of the spirit ripening in your life fruit is gradual, and that's why that context is used. There's a wonderful 
quote that I memorized when I first started following Jesus from, he was a charismatic um, preacher, evangelist in the early 20th century named Smith Wigglesworth. He said, popularity is bought for a song, popularity is bought for a song, and it's sold for a sparrow. But a noble character is built on years of service to the Lord. Gradual, following Jesus, growing, becoming like Jesus as we draw near to him, a person is changed. Secondly, even though the fruit of the Spirit is categorized as love, joy, peace, etc., I don't want us to think of them as individual fruits, but a cluster of fruits, kind of like grapes, okay? Attached to the same vine or the same stem. For instance, to be loving is not isolated from being patient. If you love, you're going to be patient. To be good is not isolated from being self-controlled. To be good is to be self-controlled, right? And so these are not isolated fruits, rather a cluster of fruits when we're tied into the vine that is Jesus and abide in that. So those are two foundational things. And the third one is the heart in which we approach growing in these fruits, okay? We cannot have a debtor's ethic and be loving. You can't have a debtor's ethic and be kind. You can't have a debtor's ethic and be good. For instance, let me start with the gospel of grace, how that works, and I'll I'll get the debtor's ethic. This is the heart process. I can only love you, and you can only love me, and we can only love each other because Christ has loved us. That's built on grace. That's built on grace. Christ loves us not because of what we have done or because of our track record. He loves us because he loves us. Okay? He loves us because he loves us, and we see that demonstrated in self-sacrifice and action on the cross. Christ loves us. He's shown us so much grace, so much grace that we don't even understand how much grace he's shown us. Like, we get pieces of how undeserving we are. We still don't understand our full heart and how much love God has shown us. Therefore, we are only saved, what does the scripture say? By faith alone and Christ alone, so that will no one boast. We are loved in relationship with God because of grace. That's the gospel of grace. That's why I can love everyone. That's why I can love my friends. That's why I can love my family. That's why I can love my church. Now, the debtor's ethic is I only love people who meet my standard. I only love people who have the same values as me. I only love people who have the same political view as me. I only love people that don't let me down. I only love people that don't make me bitter. If we are keeping track, we can never love people the way Christ wants us to love people. One of the greatest things you will learn in your marriages is when you stop keeping track and trying to get the merits the same, you'll have a lot more love towards your spouse. A lot more love. (laughs) Uh, We all had a yeah inside, is the truth. Every one of us said, yeah, just Nathan's a little more vocal. Everyone's heart said, yeah, but it just didn't come out. (laughs) But that was revolutionary in my marriage, in my relationships, is that not to keep a debtor's ethic, right? 
For instance, and I share this with my wife, if I'm driving to Marblehead to pick her up and I feel like it's, self, it's sacrificial and I don't want to do that, what are you doing, like, and you maybe do this in marriage, what are you waiting for right when they get in the car? The infamous thank you, right? You better get a thank you for the, your time spent. And it just keeps bubbling up. Why are we talking about other stuff? Where's the thankful? I'm going to put my head through the window. Why don't I hear thank you? You know how much I have suffered. That's a debtor's ethic. You've got to pick up and love regardless if someone says thank you. Because that's how love is contagious like that. You start loving like that, you'll create a culture of sacrificial love. This is the fruit of the spirit that is love. It doesn't deserve it. It, it doesn't take away its love if there's no thank you. Uh, thank you. It doesn't take away its love if it's let down. It doesn't take away its love. It's not a debtor's ethic. Does that make sense? So what we're doing, when we're growing the spirit of love, we're growing in the gospel of grace and what Christ has done for us. That's the only way we can show the fruit of the spirit that is love. Three things we're going to focus on today. What does the fruit of the spirit that is love look like in a Christian's life, in our walk? Secondly, why should we walk in the fruit of the spirit that is love? And thirdly, how to walk in the fruit of the Spirit that is love. So let's begin here. What does the fruit of love look like in a Christian's life? I know you all want to be loving people. You want to love your spouses better. You want to love your family better. You want to love your friends better. You want to love your coworkers better. What does it look like? Jesus was asked this question. What is the greatest commandment? And he took from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. He said to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. The thing when he said to love God, he said the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the fruit of the spirit of love we're talking about today. It's loving our neighbor. It's loving our neighbor. What can happen in following God is we love God, and we love ourselves, and we have some semblance of pharisaical love, so we love the people closest to us, but we never cultivate the fruit of the Spirit that is loving our neighbor. So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit that is love, we talk about loving our neighbor. And a wonderful quote from Christopher Wright in his book, if you want to read a book on this, this is one of the books I read that will form. It's Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit by, uh, he's an Anglican uh, priest. His name is Christopher Wright. Very helpful in the sermon series. But he says, almost certainly, it is the second kind of love we're talking about in the fruit of the Spirit, neighbor love, that Paul means by the fruit of the Spirit here. And Paul is talking not just about sentimental feelings of being nice, but real practical proof that we love and accept one another. In down-to-earth, caring, providing, helping, encouraging, and supporting one another, even when it costs us a lot or it hurts us, a lot to do so. Love in actions. In other words, love that dissolves divisions, love that brings people together who would otherwise hate, hurt, or even kill each other. This is the fruit of spirit that love. It's towards our neighbor. I was watching um, New Year's resolutions. I think the, the ball was dropping in New York or something like that on New Year's Eve, and I they're going around with the microphone and saying, what's your New Year's resolution? And I'm not, as far as I remember, they interviewed like five to seven people. You know what they all said their New Year resolution was? To love themselves. 
Now, I expect that in a self-loving society. What's your number one goal? I'm going to love myself this year. I mean, I, that, that, that doctrine of love of self, that Whitney Houston greatest love of all, has permeated our mindset. And I love Whitney. And she sang that song well. But the heart of it isn't true. The greatest love of all is not loving ourselves. Yes, we should love ourselves, but loving ourselves should be the metric of how we love others. If you want to gauge how you should love others, gauge how you love yourself. That is the fruit of the Spirit that is love that Jesus is looking for. Very specifically, love your neighbor as yourself. And he clarifies what neighbor is using stories like the Good Samaritan, right? They didn't know him from another place. People passed by because they had no connection to the person. That's your neighbor we should be loving as ourselves. That's Christian love. That's Christ-born love. That's spirit-born love. This is our aim. Let me give you some examples. The way to love our neighbor as ourselves and bear that fruit of the spirit that is love. When I'm having an irritable day, I'm impatient. I'm quick-tempered. You know what I appreciate when other people I love do for me? Show love towards me and don't make a big scene, but say, I know you're going through a tough day. I know this is a tough day. I know it's been long. I know you're sleepless. I know you're working hard. I know you're having trouble in you know, your family right now. There's things going on. So I'm not going to react in a works of the flesh type of way. I'm going to react with love towards you. You know how that feels? I love when people love me like that. And they understand that I don't even want to be doing what I'm doing right now. I know I'm being irritable. But now when someone is being irritable and they're having a quick temper and having a bad day, you know what I can do? I can love my neighbor as myself. That's the fruit of the Spirit that is love. That's the fruit of the Spirit that is love. It's not getting back because the debtor's ethic gets revenge in little ways, you know? Secondly, I went through a season where I was so negative about the church and and Christianity. Everyone's a hypocrite. Every pastor's preaching for money. And like 10 years I did that. I was like, everyone's bad. Every church, every person, no one's genuine like me. I sit home and just practice holiness. But I had no idea I was doing it. I had no idea the real problem was not that there's not sinners out there. There's always going to be sinners in the church. There's only sinners in the church. But there was major heart problems. But people loved me through that. People loved me through that. Pastors were so patient with me. Fellow pastors, members, family members. They were just so loving and caring. You know what? The Holy Spirit in my circumstance finally got a hold of my heart. And I started seeing the fruit of the Spirit that is love in my life. I realized I needed to repent of things like envy and jealousy and not showing grace and all these things that were under the surface of my heart. But you know what? I love that those people showed me love and the Holy Spirit walked me through that and come to that realization. So now I don't have to confront everyone who's negative talking about the church. I can walk right by and just love them. We don't have to fix everyone's heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I can now say, listen, they're just like me. I had a long run of that. It's only by God's grace that I still got to fight that in my heart, but 
Only by God's grace I can sit here and say, you know what, there's a bunch of broken people in church and God's showing grace across denominations and different churches who love Jesus. And I'm going to be for all people and walk in heart with my Savior's prayer that they will be one as the Trinity is one. See, I can let that go because I can love them the way I needed to be loved. The third thing is I love encouragement. How many people here love to be encouraged? You know the best way to get encouraged? Start encouraging others. I'm telling you, you start creating a culture. You start reaping what you sow. I'm telling you, talk about people a lot. There's a lot of people talking about you. (laughs) We reap what we sow, man. I'm telling, gossipers get gossiped about. Slanderers get slandered. It's just the way it's written. Encourage. People be walking up to you like, man, you're doing a great job. You're looking good today, kid. So encouragement, reap encouragement. If you love to be encouraged, be an encourager. Go around and lift people up, right? Because how good does that feel when we get encouraged, right? That's the love we're talking about, to love our neighbor as ourself. To love our neighbor as ourself. And let me give you this. This is read at most weddings and sometimes funerals and different things like that. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, It gives us a wonderful definition of love. Notice something about this definition. It's all in relation to others. Love is patient towards others. Love is kind towards others. Love does not envy others. Love does not boast around others. Love is not arrogant towards others. Love is not rude towards others. It does not insist on its own way towards others or with others. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing when bad things happen to others, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Do you see how most of that love was in relation to others? To be connected to God, to love God, is to love others. And that's the fruit we're aiming for. That's what love should look like in a Christian life. Now, secondly, why should we love? We always want the wise, right? Even if it's the command, we want the wise behind why we should do these things that Jesus instructs. So let's talk about that. To be honest, as I was praying for the sermon today and praying for you guys, I got some stuff down here we're going to hit, but I wanted to hit something that really was on my heart. I'll hit two things of why here. The first one is something just during prayer today. When thinking about you guys and preparing this message is because a lot of us struggle with works of the flesh and that it's damaging our souls. Like there's a whole list right before love, joy, peace, and all those nine fruits. There's actually 15 works of the flesh. And for many of us, I want to see you freed from the work of the flesh that are damaging your souls and damaging other people in your life's souls. And let me just read them to you. Because this is the why you want to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. Many of you, sexual immorality is damaging your soul. It's damaging your soul. And God wants to call you into walking in holiness when it comes to sexual morality. It's just damaging your soul. Many of you, impurity of motive, it's damaging your soul. Your motives aren't pure before God and some things he's calling you to do and you know it and you feel it by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
God wants to call you for purity of motive in all of life. Sensuality. Some of you have learned a culture of being sensual and getting attention through sensuality. God wants to call you to modesty so you can enjoy being who God made you, being valued by him. Some of you, idolatry, you've, you've loved things of the world rather than the God who's made the world, and it's damaging your soul. Some of you, you see sorcery in there, and everyone's like, what's this magic stuff in there? Some of you are still consulting mediums, and the Bible forbids it. Some of you are still going to fortune tellers and promoting that, and that's a work of the flesh. Some of you may even go as deep as being part of, you know, or been a part of seances, things like that. That's a work of the flesh. You see fortune telling on the street. You see mediums consulted. I see when I drive into Lynn, I see a big sign, medium, meet there. Those are all works of the flesh. That's when you, the sorcery is not Disney sorcery. It's something that would be practiced, things that are spiritual, but not of the Holy Spirit. So works of the flesh. Some of you are very hateful, and God wants to cause you to be loving. It says enmity. Just hating everything. Everyone on the road, everyone in your town, everyone at your job, hate, hate, hate. God wants to free you from that kind of enmity. Some of you love strife. You love drama. You're not comfortable unless there's dramatics going on. Like, it's too peaceful around here. Someone better act up. God wants to free us from that. Jealousy. We don't even realize when we're jealous of different things, but we, we're jealous of people's appearance, of their jobs, of their success, and God wants to free us so we can cheer for others. Fits of anger. That's a work of the flesh. Some of us have fits of anger, like, what the, what just happened over there? I forgot to put the bread in the fridge. Why are you bugging? Right? That's fits of anger. That's works of the flesh. Rivalries. You know, just everything's a rivalry, right? Work of the flesh. Dissensions causing divisions. Envy. Drunkenness. You know the best way to walk in sobriety is to walk in step with the Spirit of God. Because drunkenness is a work of the flesh. And the final one, orgy. Someone say, well, you don't really have to say that, but with all the pornography out there, many of us are engaging in virtual orgies regularly. That's a work of the flesh. And I say all those things to say, Christ can set you free to walk in step with the Spirit of God. He wants to set you free. He's calling you to step in line so that your soul won't walk in torment, but walk in freedom, walk in step with the Spirit. So the big why behind why we want to love, there's a lot of benefit for our own souls in it. Amen? We don't want these works of the flesh to be the markers of our life. We want the fruits of the Spirit to be the markers of our life to the glory of God. Secondly, this is wonderful in our mission. We exist to see people restored by the gospel. One of the greatest evangelistic tools is loving one another. First John says, in the way you love each other, in the way you care for each other, the way you're affectionate towards one another, when people see the way you love them and love each other, and I'll paraphrase here, we're making the invisible God visible. When we love each other, we're making the invisible God visible. In Luke, it says, do your good works so people see them 
to bring glory to your Father in heaven. Love is an evidence of the existence of God. To love each other is the evidence of the existence of God. How do we know this? Because when we see people hating each other and we see the suffering in this world, we see the war in this world, we see the division and the devastation, many people ask, how can there be a God if all this is going on? If we're loving each other, if we're sacrificing, if we're expressing ourselves with sacrifice, and people will say, how can there not be a God? Do you guys see that? That's the why behind evangelism. When you love people in true love, genuine love, people say, how can there not be a God? I've seen the way my, my dad loves me. I've seen the way my mom loves me, my husband likes, loves me, my children loves me. I've seen that person I didn't know, how they, they paid for me in a uh, time I was so weak and needy in my life, they gave me money. How can there not be a God the way they love me like that? That's what the power of love. Right, I sound like Huey Lewis from the 80s. He's good. Power love. We make the invisible God visit, visible. And I want to say, just I want to encourage you guys right here because I was so thankful to be one of your pastors over the past few weeks. When you visited our members in the hospital, you made the invisible God visible to them. That wasn't easy. That was self-sacrifice. And there were good TV shows on that night. It's cold out. When you gave your money so a single mom family could have a better Christmas and single moms in this town could have a better Christmas, you made the invisible God visible. Good gospel work. The gospel has words, but it also has actions. Don't create a false dichotomy that there's only words and no action, only action, no words. Join them together in perfect partnership and watch God be glorified. When you guys paid in your contributions to help a, a man who had no home get a hotel room for the night just to get cleaned up, get some food, you made the invisible God visible. That's the power of the fruit of the Spirit that is love. Do you guys hear two strong whys there? To walk in the restoration of our souls and to make the invisible God visible. It's more than that. Love does more than that, but we only have time to hit those two today. So let's talk about the how here. How do I cultivate the fruit of love in my life? Because I'm many of saying, I want to be more loving. I want to give you the words of Jesus that maybe you heard before, maybe you're hearing for the first time today. He says in John 15, 4 and 5, our Savior Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Because many of us ask this question. Is God going to produce the fruit in my life? Or do I need to take steps to produce the fruit in my life of love? Yes and yes. Yes and yes. God will produce the fruit, and he's calling us to take steps in Align with the Spirit to be more loving people. He's teaching us to abide in Him so we bear much fruit. The question now becomes, there's two things said in there. If your word abides in me, in verse 7 it talks a little about that more. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, it will be done for you. So there's two things there I want to talk about. 
Because the only way we're going to bear the fruit of love is if we abide in Jesus, if we commune with God. So the two things are Bible intake and prayer, okay? Bible intake and prayer. For many of you, I'm meeting with you, and Dave, me and Dave are meeting with you to talk about your devotional life. But what a devotional life can become like a rule to keep rather than a God to know. Like you do your devotional life. I, sometimes I think I ask too much because people feel guilty. No, I didn't do it again. And I'm like, man, I got to stop asking. I'm making it all uncomfortable around here. The dude's like, oh, for 18, I'm not going to ask him again. But the why behind the devotional life, is, it's not so, wow, we're awesome devotion people around here. <laughs> it's because we need to be engaging with the Spirit of God through the Word of God. So some of you have made goals already. For one, one person, it was, I'm going to read a chapter in the Bible every week. If you do that, you are doing more in the Word of God than 80% of Christianity around the world probably. Right? Someone said, I want to do a Bible app where I get a scripture every morning. If you read a scripture every morning, you're up in the 90 percentile. But it's the why behind it. Because that word of God has to abide in us in order for us to grow in love. We need to hear Jesus speak, I love you, in order us to say to others, I love you. You guys hear that? We love because God loved us. Jesus didn't die because we loved him first. He first loved us and he died showing his love. The word of God is constantly speaking. It's the very words of the Holy Spirit, the maker of the earth, the source of love wrote these words and they need to go deep into our hearts and we need to hear them because in doing so, they're falling on the soil of our heart and we learn to love others through that. Communing God is like this because the question becomes, God's inside of me, right? I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. That becomes a big question. I explain it like this. If you believe that Jesus died and he rose again, the Spirit of God is inside of you. You have been saved. God does dwell in you. But do you ever have someone in your house that you don't talk to for a long time? They live in the house, but no one's talking to each other. Walk right by them at the table. Maybe lay right next to them at night. No one says anything to each other. There's no communing, there's no conversation, there's no engaging, there's no relation, um, building of relationship. When we commune with God, when we take Bible intake, we're sitting down at the kitchen table with someone in our house and we're listening to the most important person in our life that is going to cause us to love. That's communing with God. That's Bible intake. Secondly, prayer. Prayer. We must pray to God. A prayerful life is a life that loves. We only grow in the fruit of love if we ask fervently and genuinely with the willingness to be cultivated to bear the fruit of love. We cannot become more loving people without asking the source of love to make us more loving. We need to engage with God who is love to bear the fruit of love. And unlike Eastern religions, which teach us to empty our minds, Christian prayer says to fill our minds with the word of God. Because that's the beginning. That causes us to respond. To respond now to what God has said to us. That's prayer. It's a responsive language. Unlike Eastern religions that say, look to end to find maybe the divine spark. Because you are love at your core. 
And then you will be able to love everyone. That's what Eastern religion teaches. Christian religion teaches that God is transcendent. He is a person that we draw near to and have relationship with. That we talk to, that we worship, that we sing to, that we receive some. We become more loving not when we find something in ourselves, but when we meet and draw near to the God who is the source of love. And his warmth causes us to love others in the same warmth. Do you hear that, guys? That's Christian prayer. That's Trinitarian prayer. That's biblical prayer. It's different. It's we need the source of love. We need to draw near to him to feel his presence, to know his word in order to love others. That's how we become loving. The third thing is, you can only love in community. You can only live out loving your neighbors with neighbors. I'll give you a story. I I loved basketball when I was younger, so I played a lot alone. Like I'd do my free throws. I hit so many free throws when I was alone. I'd just be like, you got this dog. I make up in my mind. You know how many buzzer beaters I hit alone? I was like, I got them again. They're cheering for me. Right? Like alone, I was killing it. Then we had pickup games, but those were my close friends with no rest. So you get hacked. You can't go foul on that. You know, it was just ridiculous. There was no real rules. There was rules, but there were street rules, but no rest, right? So that's the culture I grew up in. I played a lot by myself, basketball, and I played a lot of pickup. I never played like in fifth, sixth, seven, eight. I never had like the formative years. So I went out to try out for the freshman team in high school. Never have an experience in a game. All of a sudden, I got the uniform, feeling good. I made the team. Coach is like, you're in. I jumped in there. I grabbed the basketball and ran the wrong way. You'd think this was a one-time thing. Few games later, I must have not been paying attention, just stressed out. They call me in, pass me the ball, I run the wrong way. Do you know why? Because I wasn't ready for that kind of pressure and I hadn't incrementally built up to deal with that kind of pressure. So it was like I was thrown in. I was like, I want to play basketball. But once I got in the place where I really had to play basketball, I was so stressed. I had no ref. I played people that I was comfortable with. I played alone. But I couldn't play basketball in that kind of pressure because I needed those formative years. That's what happens with our walk with God. We're great at loving when it's just us. Just home alone. No one's bothering me. I'm all love. I personify love. We're great at loving when they're people we agree with every single thing with them, right? I got these two friends. We agree on everything. This is a sanctuary of agreement. Okay? This is all love here. We finish each other's sentences. Right? You can love there. That's like the pickup game. You're playing with your buddies. There's no ref. All of a sudden, you get thrown into a church. All of a sudden, you get thrown into a job place. I've never been in this before. You're telling me I gotta forgive people? You're telling me I gotta love people? You're telling me I gotta pray for those who spitefully use me? I don't even like that person. We get thrown in the game, you know what we do? We run the other way. Oh, shoot, I don't like this. I'm going home to be alone. I'm gonna find those two friends that do everything I want them to do, because that's good life. See, love has nothing to do with that. Love gets thrown into the game. And it learns to forgive, and it learns to sacrifice. It learns to do even to its own hurt. That's love. That's the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
And that's what we're called in to as a church family, to love each other, to forgive each other, to pray for one another, to visit each other in the hospital, to help pay bills when some of us don't have the money to, to support one another, to cry with one another, to rejoice with one another, to love one another. That's the love of Jesus. This is our aim, and it all begins here with the gospel. The love I just told you about was the love of Christ. He is God. Jesus is God. He says, I love them so much. I love the world, and I love them so much that I'm going to come off my throne in heaven. I'm going to be born of a virgin. I'm going to suffer as a human. They're not even going to greet me with open arms. They're going to crucify me. Because darkness hates the light. Death hates love. Yet our Savior, all love, fully love, loved every moment, loved us fully. Loved us enough to never commit a sin. Loved us enough to go to a cross that he didn't have to go to. Loved us enough to pray for us even when we were crucifying him. Loved us enough to be put in that grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and rising from that grave to say, you crucified me. But even to those who crucified me, you can have eternal life if you only believe. That's the power of love. That's true love. It's all self-sacrifice. Jesus wasn't just words, even though every word he spoke was truth. He was words in action, and the cross and the resurrection show us that. And it's only through that that we can love others. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Oh, our prayer is that your, your love, the love of your gospel, born of your spirit, would run deep in our souls, would run deep in our hearts, that you would cause us as we abide in you, as our branch is tied to you, the tree, to bear much fruit of love. Help us to forgive the unforgivable in our hearts and love the unlovable in our hearts and bless the unblessable. Help us to walk in your love and show grace. We're just so thankful for your love towards us, Father. It never ceases to be amazing. Amen.